Well, good morning. Well, we're in a series on prayer entitled Draw Near, and we're looking especially at how embracing the gospel impacts our understanding of prayer. And so today we want to deal with the aspect of confessing our sin. That's an important aspect of prayer, of coming before God and dealing with the aspect of our sin, of confessing that to him. And so if you haven't done so already, you'll want to reach inside your celebration folder and pull out the message notes. And right off at the top, it says that the Bible speaks of two aspects when it deals with this aspect of confessing our sins. And the first is it says that we're to confess our sins to one another. James chapter 5, verse 16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. A few years ago, I had uh, this experience where one of those, you know, magazine salesmen came to my door. You know what I'm talking about? And I know those guys are trained not to take no for an answer, but I kind of think about the eighth no. You ought to be catching on. You know, that's kind of my thought. And, um... As this thing progressed, I had stepped out on the porch to talk to him. But the the longer it went and the more he wouldn't let me get away from him, the angrier I was getting. And finally, I I grabbed his... We kind of had a credenza thing there where he had laid his notebook down. And I grabbed it and I threw it out into the yard. I said, I just want you to leave. And I came storming in the house. And when I did, my daughter, Joanna, who was probably about 15 at the time, was standing there... And uh, she said to me, you know, Dad, you're just going to have to confess that to those guys you eat breakfast with on Saturday morning. (laughs) And uh, the first thing I thought is, what a fine example of Christianity you are to your daughter. (laughs) But the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, what a fine example of Christianity you are to your daughter. Because Joanna knew that the habit of my life was to confess my sins to some other guys. That's why you need to be in a small group. <laughs> You're stunned you to hear that from me, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> it's why you need to have a spiritual partner. It's why you need to have people that on a regular basis you talk about these kinds of things with. And that's why I met with these guys on Saturday morning. These were guys that are part of my group. And one of the things that we regularly did is we went through some questions of John Wesley's written a hundred some years ago that uh, helped us kind of talk through what we had done and what was going on in our life and to confess that to each other. We need to do that. Something about just having to say it out loud. It helps retard this ability we have to deceive ourselves. You know, the Bible talks a lot about do not be deceived. You know why it does that? It's because we're really good at deceiving ourselves. In fact, what Lewis Smead says that we do is we deceive ourselves and then we convince ourselves that we're not deceived. That's what we do. But there's something about confessing our sins to each other that kind of keeps us connected to the gospel, to the reality that I need Jesus, that I mess up. I mess up a lot. And certainly when I'm not messing up with my actions, I'm messing up with my thoughts, I'm messing up with my attitudes. And just something about having to work through that makes me aware, that keeps me connected to the fact that I need the gospel, not just however many years ago when I bowed my knee to Jesus. I need it now. 
I need Jesus now. Keeps us tied to that, confessing our sins to each other. But not only that, the Bible also says we are, <clears throat> excuse me, to confess our sins directly to God. First John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. There it is again. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins. Well, who do we confess our sins to? We confess them to God. He is the he in that verse. He is the one who is faithful and just and will forgive us when we do. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10 Beginning in verse 19, this wonderful passage that Pastor Steve led us through a couple weeks ago at the start of this series. Listen to these powerful words. Listen to what it says. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. And by his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts fully trusting him. We can go boldly right into God's presence with our sin. No longer do we need to go through a priest, a human priest, because we have a high priest now. We used to, the old covenant, need to go through a human priest who would, through the sprinkling of blood, stand between us and God. But now we have a great high priest through the sprinkling of his own blood on the cross who represents us. We can go boldly. Right into God's presence with our sin. Confessing it to him. All because of Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross. And so as I prepared and as I pondered this aspect of confession and confessing of our sin uh, for the past few weeks, I've come up with a couple of questions. And so that's what we're going to deal with in our time together this morning. Here's my first question. It's pretty basic. It's just this. So what does it mean? What does it mean to confess our sins? You know, confession is one of those sometimes... You know, we have these church words, you know what I'm talking about, these spiritual words that we kind of attach all this baggage and all this language to and we kind of understand it in the church spiritual... Ter- but, but, you know, confession is just a word. So what's, that, what's, what's it mean to confess? Well, confess just means to acknowledge... You know how like when somebody pulls out in front of you in traffic and you're all mad at them and then they wave, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like, I'm, oh, there's the wave. Okay. I'm good with you now. I mean, you know, it's like they, they just ignore, you're acknowledging, Hey, my bad. I shouldn't have done that. I, you know, it's acknowledging, it's owning it. I, you know, that, that's what confession It's It's acknowledging it's owning Literally, it just means to say the same thing as. It's the word homo legato. We, we get homo, same, you know, homogeneous, same gender, homosexual, same sex, homo, same. 
Legato, uh, remember in John 1, it says that uh, in the beginning was the Word, Logos, Jesus, the Word, Legato, say the same, see, homo legato, to say the same thing as, that's what it means, to acknowledge it, to own it, to say the same thing about it as someone else, to not blame, to not justify, to own it. You know, blaming and justifying, like, remember in Genesis when Adam took that fruit, the forbidden fruit, and ate it, and God came looking for him, and you know, what's Adam do? He says, well, it's, you know, it's that woman, and by the way, the one that you gave me, you know, right? He's justifying, he's blaming, and then God turns to Eve, and she says, well, it was that snake. You know, you put that snake here. It's not doing that. It's not justifying. It's not rationalizing. It's owning it. It's agreeing with God, saying the same thing about it. God, you call this disobedience. I agree with you. Or, or regardless, I, I just take the responsibility for it. It's not somebody else's fault. I own it. I acknowledge that. I come clean about that. Um, a couple of weeks ago when we began this series and Pastor Steve talked to us about the fact of just the privilege of prayer that's made possible because of Jesus' death, the high price that Jesus paid to make it even possible for us to come to God in prayer. And I remember just sitting there as we, you know, moved from the message into worshiping and just confessing to God, saying, God, I, I have taken this privilege far too for granted. I've, I've been too cavalier about just even this right to talk to you, just to come to you. I, that, that it's conf- it was, I was owning it. I was acknowledging that. I was saying the same thing about it that God was. That, that's confession. That's what it means. Maybe another example is, um, is this. You know, and I'm hesitant to even talk, talk about this, but, uh, because I don't want you to think of it as, as self-serving because it's not that. But, but, you know, I've lost a fair amount of weight this past year. And as I've kind of thought back about that, and, and you know what? I hate when people would talk about this, I would always just cringe. So I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me, okay? You know, um, I, and I know that I'm still far from skinny. And I know that I know far more about gaining weight than losing weight. And I fully acknowledge that... A year from now, I may weigh twice as much as what I did when I started. You know, I know all of that. I, so just hear me out, okay? I want you to, because I, I think this illustration fits. So this is my story. This is my journey. But, but, but one of the things I realized in this process is there was this sense of having to just own it. You know, of having to say, I have a problem here that I'm powerless against. I have a problem that I have to do something about it. I don't, and I, you know, and I've got a lot of shame and I've got a lot of guilt, and, and and just owning up to that and being able to say that out loud. And are you are you connecting with me? That's confessing. That's owning. It 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 it, it doesn't necessarily bring all this you know this baggage with it like like a lot of times you know we you know we picture confession as this sense of uh, you know sorrow and guilt and pleading you know and and it, it's not necessarily those things it's just owning it you know like the foxhole confession you know there's the guy in the war and there's bombshells going off all around him and you know you're confessing you know everything you've ever done and a few things you haven't even done you know that you know it, it's not all of that it's, it's just owning up to things it's just 
That's what confessing is. It's agreeing with. But when it comes to the subject of, of confession of our sin, that, that, that brings with it this aspect that that, that that means saying the same thing about my sin that God does about it, agreeing with him, owning that it's my sin. It's not somebody else's. It's, I'm, I'm acknowledging that. I'm coming clean with that. And doing so of necessity requires that there's repentance with that, that there's sorrow, that, that there's a desire to change. Otherwise, we're just playing word games with God. That's all we're doing. You know, where we, you know, Saturday night we sin and on Sunday morning we come and we confess, even though we're planning on doing the exact same thing all next weekend. And it's just these games we play. You know, I, I had Catholic friends growing up who would, and I'm not picking on Catholicism, but, you know, they would go to confession. And even as they were leaving confession, they were already planning on doing it again. And it's not playing those kinds of games. That when it comes to confessing, my sin, it, it means owning it. And part of saying the same thing about it as God does is understanding what God says about my sin. And one of the things that God says about sin, the warning that God gives us about sin is that all sin leads to death. He warns us about that. He tells us that's the promise of God's word, that that's the natural consequences of sin. That sin leads to hell-pleasing, not-in-my-best-interest consequences. It leads to death. In fact, the lie of the devil is that we can disobey God, we can disobey God's word, and not have to pay anything for it, not have to pay those consequences. But as Beretta promised us, if you're going to do the crime, you've got to pay the time. So if you're not going to believe God, at least believe Beretta, right? For those of you under like 50, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but that's fine. Listen to God's word, Romans chapter 6. Verse 15 and 16 says this. So since God's grace has set us free from the law, does this mean that we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that whatever you choose to obey becomes your master? Listen to what he says. He says you can choose sin, which leads to what? Death. Or you can choose to obey God and receive his approval. Romans chapter 7, verse 5 says, when we were controlled by our sinful nature, sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires that produced sinful deeds, resulting in what? Death. Romans chapter 8, verse 2, for the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you through Christ Jesus from the power of sin that leads to death. Romans chapter 8, verse 6, if your sinful nature controls your mind, there is death. But if the Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. And on and on, the Word of God promises this, not just in the book of Romans. I could give you lots of passages that the promise of the Word of God is that sin leads to death. Hell-pleasing, not in my best interest consequences. See, we've got to, we've got to get past this understanding that it's, it's not God up in heaven that when we disobey, that when we sin, He's up there going, aha, zap. I mean, you know, it's not... 
It's not God just saying, I've been waiting and waiting to get you, and finally you give me an excuse to. It's, it's not God somehow imposing these things on us when we sin. It's that sin naturally leads to these consequences. And yet, God, who is rich in mercy often doesn't give us what we deserve, but instead grants us grace. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? And so the genuine confession of my sin, don't miss this, it isn't merely playing this ultimate get-out-of-jail-free card. Remember Monopoly, you know, you deserve to go to jail, but you play the cards that you didn't have to. And it, it, It's not about avoiding the consequences. See, I deserve the consequences. I recognize that. It's not God imposing them. It's that that's the promise of God's word, that all sin naturally leads to those things. But rather, it's coming in humility. And owning my sin before God, including saying, God, I deserve. Whatever this sin naturally results in, I deserve that. Yes, I ask for mercy. Who doesn't want mercy? Who doesn't want to not get what I deserve? But that's not the point. It's that the point is, God, in sorrow and in repentance, I own my disobedience before you and I confess my sin. It's what David did in Psalm 51, there at the bottom of your notes. Read the whole psalm later. It's a great psalm, but just these first four verses, it says this. He's praying, and he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, and wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sins. For I know my transgression and my sin. See, it's my sin. It's not somebody else's fault. It's not something. I, no, I, it's my sin. It's always before me. And it's against you. And you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. I deserve whatever I get. God, I don't want it, but that's not the point. The point is I own this. I acknowledge it. I come before you about it. And with repentance and humility, I come and I admit that. But the second question that I, that I thought is, I, is I've been working on this for the past few weeks, is, is I've been wrestling with this aspect of, of confession and confessing my sin is just this. But Why? I mean, why is it that we need to confess our sins? And especially in light of the gospel, what is it about the gospel? I mean, why does God ask us to do this? And I think a key verse is the verse found in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. At least, I think this kind of helped me focus in on the why part of this. It's a verse you've probably heard before. Maybe some of you have memorized a very familiar verse. It says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, these words. He says, above all else, guard your heart, 
for everything that you do flows from it. Guard your heart. See, confessing my sin isn't about informing God. I mean, he's God. He knows, right? It isn't like, well, I'm glad you told me that because I was a little suspicious. I mean, he's God, right? Amen. He already knows. Amen. It isn't about pleading, oh, God, please forgive me that if I can work up enough emotion, he will. Listen, if you are in Christ, it's already paid for. You're already forgiven. It's not about I have to trump up enough emotion to convince him. To... It's already done. It's not about pleading for forgiveness. It's, it's not a matter of salvation. I, I had an aunt, a great aunt, who believed that if you had a car wreck, it, you're a Christian, and you have a car wreck, and you said a cuss word just before you entered into eternity, you would go to hell. I mean, she missed, her, her, she missed the gospel by light years. See, the, the message of the gospel is that my salvation rests all in what Jesus did and nothing in what I do. That's why it's good news, right? It's not a matter of keeping myself saved. Man, if I've bowed my knees to Jesus, if I've received the gift, his blood has paid for all of my sin, past, present, and future. It's not about that. It isn't about keeping God from being mad at me. God's not mad at me. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Listen, once I have embraced the gospel. Here's why I confess. Here's why God asks us to do it. Once I have embraced the gospel, I form the habit of the ongoing confession of my sin, not for God's benefit, but for mine. I do it to keep my heart from being clogged up between he and me. That's why I do it. You see, God, my, my unconfessed sin doesn't stand between God and me from God's perspective. But it does stand between us from my perspective. It impedes the flow of openness between God and me. It, it's like a clogged drain. And it doesn't impact God's love. It doesn't impact God's, uh, God's favor towards me. But it does impact the softness and the openness of my heart toward him. I, I need to confess my sin, not for God's benefit, but for mine. That's why God asked me to do it. 
You see, when I have, when I, when I let bitterness build up in my system, it impacts my relationship with God. When I let lust hang around in my life, it affects the softness of my heart towards God. When I give anger residence in my heart, it hardens it. When I let worry reign in my thoughts, it affects the condition of my heart. When I give jealousy an upper hand in how I view someone else, it not, it not only impacts how I view someone else, it impacts how things stand between how I connect to God. When I let pride impact how I look at others, it affects my heart. Listen, friends, don't miss this. See, see I am so performance-oriented, I have trouble really believing this. But because of the gospel, none of these things impacts how God feels towards me. But they do impact how I feel and respond toward God. And for that reason, God pleads with me for the sake of my heart that on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus to confess my sin, to make it the ongoing habit of my life, to examine and to confess, and to acknowledge, and to own my sin before Him. And to come in humility and before Him, to ask Him to forgive and to clean my heart. And that's why it says in Psalm 32, that bless, is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. He's praying and he says this, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. It was me. I was the one who was suffering. My sin impacted me, he says. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. But then I acknowledged my sin. And I didn't cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. He is faithful and just 
and will always, always forgive our sin. And that's what keeps our heart soft towards Him. And so let's turn the focus to you. That's what confession is. <laughs> That's why God pleads with us to do it. But how about you? Right now, is there anything, anything that's standing between you and full open lines with God? I mean, is there some action that you're doing that you know, that you know is displeasing to God. Is there? Is there some attitude that you're hanging on to? Is there anything that you're allowing to keep your heart hard? You see, the more I give in to sin, the harder my heart becomes and the less sensitive it is towards God and the less I enjoy my sin. But the more I confess my sin, that's why it needs to be the habit of our life, an ongoing practice of our prayers. The more that I confess my sin, the softer my heart becomes. And the more sensitive it is towards God, and the more I am able to find satisfaction in God alone. And so how about you? Is there anything? Here's the pleading, I think, of the Spirit of God to you this morning. Is to bring it out into the light. I mean, are you mad at anyone? Is there anything going, is there, is there anything, anything in your life that you've allowed guilt or, or shame or I, I don't know, whatever it is to cause you to, to stuff it back into the dark places of your life? See, that's, that's what the devil does. He convinces us, no, oh no, keep that back there. You, you can't bring that out. But listen, it's out into the light. That's where the, where the grace of God is. Bring it out into the light. You say, but I'm scared. I don't. That's why you bring it out. So is there anything going on there? And so what we're going to do is we're going to just spend some time here in a few minutes, just just to give you some time. We're going to we're going to kind of transition back into worship, like we do at the end of our celebrations. And as a part of that time, we're going to celebrate the object lesson that Jesus gave us to remind us, to help us not forget the high price He paid that makes it all possible. His broken body, His shed blood on the cross for you and me. We call that communion, we call it the Lord's Supper, whatever you want to call it. And you know what, if you're in Christ, you're welcome to the table this morning. It doesn't matter whether you're a member here, it doesn't matter. If you're in Christ, you're welcome. But as we do that, I, I, I want us to obey what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. It says this, Everyone ought to examine themselves 
before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. And so we're going to do that. And confession isn't just for Sundays. It isn't just for communion. It needs to be the ongoing habit of, the heart, of, our, of our lives. But, but this is a good time to start if you aren't in the practice of doing it. And for sure, it's a good time to obey God's word and do it now, isn't it? And so what we're going to do is we're going to just kind of, as we transition into worship, there's the, the strings are going to kind of play some, some favorite hymns. Those of you who are old fogey Christians like me, you'll recognize that these are hymns that talk about the blood of Jesus. Those of you who aren't, you'll think, oh, those are nice songs. That's fine. <laughs> but as we do that, there's no agenda here. We're just, as we do that, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to just obey God. I'm going to ask you to spend time reflecting. God, in fact, here, let me encourage you to do this. As you're doing this, not now, but as you're praying in just a minute, put your hand over your heart and ask this question. How's my heart? How's my heart? Is there anything in there that's going on? Is there anything that's causing it to be hard? Is there anything that I'm keeping hidden Is there anything that I need to confess, to come clean about, to acknowledge, to own up to before God? And so as we do that, again, no no hurry here. We're going to play some songs, and then we're going to sing some songs, and then we're going to give our offerings, and then, you know, we may just stay here forever. Who knows? What the heck? No, we're not. Some of you just, you hadn't heard anything I've said for the last half hour, but you heard that. I'm sorry, these things just come out of my mouth. I don't even know why. (laughs) But as we do this, as we do this, as as the the strings play, whenever you're ready, for some of you, you know, this has been the habit of your, and you're ready to go quickly. Some of you, we may be singing and you may go late. Take as long or as little as you need. In fact, don't play these silly games of if I go now, they'll think I'm not spiritual enough. Or if I wait too long, they'll think, oh man, what's going on in her life? You know, I mean, forget that silliness. You examine. You do business with God. And when you're ready, you go take the, take the cracker. And as you Bite down on it. Reflect on the broken body of Jesus. What he endured for you and for me on the cross. And as you take that juice and as you drink it, reflect on the shed blood of Jesus giving his life for you and me on the cross. And then going back to your seat when you're done. Spend as little or as long up here at the tables as you want. And then going back to your seat and after a while we'll start singing and we'll just worship together. Can we do that? Can we do that? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you doesn't seem to be enough to say, but I don't have any other words. And so thank you for the amazing thing that you did for me on the cross. If we worshiped you from now until the the end of eternity, it wouldn't be long enough. But as we do this, as we reflect, as we focus, as we do business with you, as we worship you, as we sing, as we, as we enter into this process of saying thanks, of expressing our gratitude, as we remember and recognize, Lord Jesus, we just thank you. And so receive our acts of worship now in your name I pray. Amen.